interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you, hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, verse 25, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of Christ, the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some of you have even died. I want to use as a topic for my service today, do you remember? Do you remember? Holy Spirit, we thank you for all that you have allowed us to do as we lifted from the name of Jesus and gave all the glory unto God. At this moment, we ask that you would help us remember. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen, amen. I'm not sure if any of you guys have ever asked yourself the question, what identifies us as Christians? What identifies us as Christians? Because if you think about it, there's no uniform for Christianity. There's nothing that you are supposed to wear. Jesus never said we needed to put a cross on our neck. Jesus never said that we need to put a cross on our neck. There's no commandment that the Bible gives us to go to Jerusalem and stand at Calvary at some point in our lives. While we look at other faiths, some faiths such as Islamic women, they'll wear what we call a hijab to cover their face and only reveal their eyes to show their commitment to their faith. A Hindu woman might have a red dot on her forehead, which is called a bendi, and they consider that to be like a third eye to give, to give them spiritual insight, show that they are desiring spiritual insight. But what is it exactly that identifies someone who is serious about being a Christian? Some of us might be thinking, well, you know what, Pastor, maybe our prayer life. Well, I would say not solely, not completely, because as Christians, we don't own the rights to prayer completely. Because there are other faiths who actually pray more than many of us. For instance, you know, you might have a devout Muslim who faces towards the east and prays five times a day. 
which is more than many of us will pray in a week. For, for, for some of us, we have people who might think that maybe it's reading a Bible or having a, holding on to a Bible. But technically, having a Bible and reading a Bible doesn't necessarily make you or mean that you're a Christian. For some of us, we grew up in the tradition where they said you had to speak in other tongues, speaking in tongues. But the Bible shows us not every believer is given the gift of speaking in tongues. So what is the common practice that we share across all variety of Christianity that indicates that we are born-again believers in Jesus Christ? Now, as you study scripture, you will find that the only thing that Jesus created and commanded that identifies our faith to him, or our connection to him, or even our allegiance to our faith, the only practice that proves that we are a disciple of Jesus Christ is the breaking of bread and sharing of the cup. You see, this practice, we will find it across all varieties of Christianity. You'll find it in the Baptist, the Methodist, the Catholic, and even the Episcopal. Because when it comes to this practice, we can say that Christians own this. Because no other faith tradition breaks bread and shares the cup unless you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This is what identifies us to the world, that we have a Savior who sacrificed his life on the cross, shed his blood, by, and by his death, we are saved from the hand of the enemy. We are redeemed from going to hell. But what is interesting is, if you ever go to a Bible school, you'll find there's a theologian by the name of Miller Eckerson. Miller Eckerson says, communion does not simply unite us around the world, but it also divides us. It does not simply unite us around the world, but it also divides us. Now, if you've been to many different churches across Christianity, you will find that every church practices communion differently. And the reason being is, based on your belief, that will determine your practice. What you do in life is based and founded on what you believe. As I said this morning, I, I want to do some teaching so that we really understand the background and the differences in terms of why we do communion the way we do it here and in comparison to other churches. So first off, I want to start off by the difference in the terminology. The difference in the terminology when it comes to the breaking of bread and sharing of the cup. Now there are three terms that's used when it comes to this. The first one is the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, the reason why we call it that is because it was instituted by Jesus. You'll find it in Matthew 26, Mark 14, and Luke 22, and John 13. Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, and John 13. Where before Jesus' death on the cross, he gathered his disciples together to share in his last meal. And that is why we call it the Lord's Supper. A second term that we would use is Holy Communion. Holy Communion, the reason why we use this term is because it reminds us of how sacred this time is unto the Lord. It reminds us of our right relationship with a holy God. Now, I grew up in an old school tradition back in New York where they built, it was so holy, so sacred that they built a custom table just for this. 
You would not dare put your personal belongings on it. You would not dare play around it. I remember I got invited to a church and Peyton, my son, happened to leave my wife where he was sitting to come towards me and went to go tug on the cloth that was on the holy that was on the on the table. I was never invited back to that church. In some churches, it is so holy that no one else can touch the elements but the deacons. It's so holy that when the deacons, they have to do a whole procession walking down. They're wearing white gloves and everything like that. Because they consider this table and these elements right here to be holy ground. Holy communion. Another term that's used for this as well is the Eucharist. The Eucharist is a Greek term which means to give thanks. The reason why we use this term as well is the Eucharist reminds us that we should be thankful towards God for God forgiving us of our sins through Jesus Christ. Another difference that we will find is the difference in the frequency of the breaking of bread and sharing of the cup, meaning when we take it. Now, there's really no commandment in the Bible as to how often we should take the cup and the bread. So some churches, you'll find that they do it once a year. Some churches do it once a quarter. Some churches like us, we do it once a month. Some churches, they do it every time they gather, every time they meet. Another difference we'll find is the difference in the elements that we use. Some churches, they will use unleavened bread, which is like a really hard cracker. I think when I was in New York, we used what they call mac matzo. Okay, that's, that's what they use. Some churches, they'll use a loaf of bread and you would just break a little piece off that loaf and you distribute it amongst each other. Some churches, we use just a regular cracker. And some churches use like a little wafer, okay? A little wafer that they'll use in distributing. Now, in the, there's a difference in the, in the bread, but there's also a difference in the cup. Some churches like us, we use Welch's grape juice, some tried to mimic what Jesus did, which was watered down wine. In seminary, they'll tell you for every one portion of water, for every one portion of wine, you use 20 portions of wine. Okay? Some churches, they go hardcore. They're like, we're gonna go in. They'll use Manischewitz, Mogan David. They give you the real deal. Some churches, they'll serve both, give you the option of which one you want to choose today. Get tipsy in Jesus, or you know, you just want to have a good night. There's also a difference in how you take it. There's a difference in how you take it. Some churches, they'll give you your own cup and your own bread. That's what we do here. Other churches, they'll have the bread and they'll dip the bread into the wine, two for one. I think they call that in intention. Okay, intention. Other churches, you would have to walk down the aisle, and the priest would stand and hold the cup, and everyone drinks from that same cup. I'll tell you first, I don't know you like that. <laughs> they would all drink from that same cup. Now, there's also a difference in the necessity of the Lord's Supper or the communion. There's a difference in necessity. Now, I'm going to narrow it down here. In the, Catholic, in the Catholic world, communion is considered to be a sacrament. 
Meaning that there, it conveys grace as you take it. So Catholics, they look at the Lord's Supper and communion as if something they need to take. They need it because that's the only way that they will receive grace. And one of the worst offenses that you can do to a Catholic is to prevent them from not receiving the Lord's Supper. Because if they don't receive the Lord's Supper, that means they don't receive grace. If they don't receive grace, then that means they can lose their salvation. That is a sacrament. But when it comes to many Protestant churches, we believe that it is what we call an ordinance. Protestant churches, we believe it is an ordinance, which basically means that we believe that God has commanded us through Jesus Christ to do this. But we don't believe that you will lose your salvation. We don't believe that it will have an effect on your salvation. We don't believe that if you don't take it for some, for some reason, if we're serving it on Sunday and you happen to not be here on Sunday, that doesn't mean you're going to hell. Okay? There is also a difference in the theology of communion. There's a difference in the theology of, of communion. Now, in the Catholic world as well, they believe that once the priest prays and blesses the elements, it now transforms into the literal body and literal blood of Jesus. That's why you'll find it's only the priest that holds it, the priest that handles it. Because if the priest happens to give it to you and you drop it, you're definitely going to hell. Because you just dropped the literal body and literal blood of Jesus. And that's what we call in theology transubstantiation. Basically, the transfer of literal body and literal blood of Jesus. Okay. In Protestant circles, we do not believe this church, we do not believe that it is the literal body and literal blood of Jesus. In theology, they would call it commemoration. Okay? We call it commemoration because it reminds us of what Jesus did. So it's still grape, Welch's grape juice, but it triggers in our mind what Jesus did on the cross for us 2,000 years ago. It is a memorial for us. This is why Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. You see, we are called to remember some things that identify us as the body of Christ. And this is the message that Paul is really trying to emphasize to the Corinthian church today so that we understand what the Lord's Supper really means. What does it actually mean? Because there are some things that we have to remember as it comes to our walk with the Lord when we gather together and break the bread and share the cup. So this morning, I want to look at three things that we must remember whenever we come to the Lord's Supper, whenever we come to partake of communion, whenever we come for the Eucharist. The first thing I want to look at that we should remember is, number one, that we are called to be a caring community. We're called to remember to be a caring community. Basically, what we should remember is that this place, when we come here, we don't just come here to just sit down. We don't come here to just be entertained by the worship team. We don't come here to, for you to be able to say, I attended CCC this Sunday. 
Nope. When you come here, when you come here in the morning and we come and we take the part of the Lord's Supper, it is to remind you that you are part of a community that cares for one another. In the book of Corinthians, Paul finds out that the Corinthian Christians, they are doing some things that are abusive to the Lord's Supper. Where during this time, the Lord's Supper, it was really done as a large dinner celebration. So in the midst of eating this large meal, they would break bread and share the cup. Now, when they would do this, they, they would meet in homes. Many times it was the homes of a wealthy individual. Many times it was in the homes of someone who was rich. And in these homes, they had two rooms that was distinguished simply for individuals, people to, to eat. One room, this was pretty much the open area and considered to be the gathering area. The other room was considered to be the dining room. And in this dining room, it could fit maybe around nine people in this particular room. This, this setting right here, this was pretty much like a potluck, where everyone would bring their own meal as they partook of the, of the, the Lord's Supper as well. But what was happening is, since everyone was bringing a meal, you would find that the rich people would come and bring the meals but because the poor individuals, the poor, could not find funds to be able to purchase meals, they came empty-handed. And so because the rich brought all these meals, the poor ended up eating the rich people's food. And the rich people got mad and said, you know what, we're not going to do it like this. So what they started to do, they started to come earlier with their meals, ate their meals amongst themselves, so by the time service started, the meal began, that's when the poor people came and they were left with practically nothing. They were left with leftovers. Because the rich people gathered together so that they could eat among themselves. The rich people ate in the dining area, the poor ate in the open area. The rich ate first, the poor ate last. The rich had the best cuts of meats, the poor had the leftover scraps. And all of them here came here and Paul is like, this is not church. Where the rich are stuffed and drunk and the poor, they're scrapping for some food, scrapping for something to eat. Paul says, this is not convenient. Because there's something wrong when you are being divided based off of economic status. Where the wealthy gets the best and the poor gets what's left. Paul says that the Lord's Supper is supposed to remind us the same way that Jesus came and sacrificed himself for all of us. The same way we too are called to sacrifice ourselves for one another. In other words, in other words Paul is saying this is not Christ-like. For someone who is hungry to sit next to someone who is throwing away food. There's something wrong. There's something out of order here for you to be stuffed and you're sitting next to someone who's struggling. This is really not church. For you to be able to sing and shout on Sunday, but for some reason you have a difficulty sharing what you have. In other words, Paul is saying that there's a problem. If you can come to church and sit next to someone and just simply think that they're a stranger and not once care about who they are, care about what's going on in their lives. At least for once, when you come to church, you should at least ask one or two individuals, how are you doing today? How can I be a blessing unto you? Is there anything I can help you with? Because we are called to be a caring community. 
See, at this moment in time, society now, we live in a place where we have sanctified selfishness. And it has crept into the church where we have the mindset, what God gives me is for me. Or even we'll use the cliche, what the Lord has for me is for me. No, it's not. It's not for you. What God has for you is for you to share with those who are in need. Share with those who don't have what you have. Check this here. I want you guys to understand it. In, in the passage, in the passage here, Paul says, I receive from the Lord. I receive from the Lord. And what I receive from the Lord, I now pass it on to you. Throughout many of Paul's epistles, you will see, he says, I receive this from the Lord. But even though I received it from the Lord, I don't hold it on to myself. I don't keep it from myself. I don't hide it from anyone else. But now I share it with you. I pass it on to you. In other words, what God gives me, I'm able to now share it with you to give to you. How the Lord has blessed me, now I can bless you with that. What the Lord has deposited in my life, I now can deposit it back into your life. The way he has loved me, now I can love you. The same grace he has shared with me, now I can share that grace with you. God has to share it with one another. This, this, this is what communion is about. Where it celebrates not simply my relationship with God, but my, re my relationship with the person sitting next to me. My relationship with one another. I, I was filled with joy a few weeks ago when I was recently informed that a few members of our church gathered together to help another family member move into their new apartment. Woo! This excited me because they did not come to me and say, hey, pastor, what do you think about this? Hey, pastor, do you think this is a good time? Hey, pastor, do you think we should do this? No, I don't think I didn't find out that it happened until a few weeks after. But these individuals came together and said, we are going to demonstrate love. We are going to give our time. We are going to show this person, this family support. Letting the family know that we care about you. Letting the family know that you are not forgotten. Letting the family know that you don't need to go get outside support. All your support is here within the family. We are here for you. Because we are called to be a caring community. Paul, Paul is telling us, informing us, what are we called to remember? Number one, he says, remember that church is supposed to be a caring community. But number two, you are blessed even when you are being broken. You are blessed even when you are being broken. When it comes to the breaking of the bread and the sharing of the cup, the term, as I mentioned, that we use is the Eucharist, which means thanksgiving, to give thanks. Because the Bible says that on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and gave thanks. On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he gave thanks. On the night that Judas did him wrong, he gave thanks. On the same night Peter denied him, 
he gave thanks. On the same night he suffered an unjust trial, he gave thanks. On the same night he started his journey to a painful cross, he gave thanks. At that same moment when all hell was breaking loose, Jesus gave thanks. At that same moment when it seemed like there was no reason to give thanks, he still gave God thanks. See, this should be a reminder to us that what identifies us as a disciple, what identifies us as a Christian, is that we are people who are called to give God thanks at all times. In my trial, I give him thanks. In my troubles, I give him thanks. In my problems, I give him thanks. When everything is going wrong, I can still give thanks. Even when I get laid off my job, I can still give him thanks. When nothing seems to be working, I can still give him thanks. Now, now, I know Thanksgiving was last weekend, but, but truly, as Christians, I shouldn't simply just give God thanks out of one day in 365 days in a year. And yet every single week, I come sad, I come disturbed, come sorrowful, I'm always complaining. I can't even say thank you, Jesus. As we learned last week, saying thank you, Jesus, is simply a response, a reflection of what Jesus has done in my life. I should always be willing to give God thanks. Some of you might be thinking, well, Pastor, you don't know what I've lost. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know about my struggles. How dare you tell me to give God thanks? I'll give you the Cliff Notes version of what we preached last Sunday. In this passage here, the Bible says Jesus took the bread, he blessed it, and then he broke it. <coughs> he took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it. I don't think your neighbor caught that. He took the bread, he blessed it, and then he broke it. This means that the bread was blessed before it was broken. You see, as some, some of us right here, once we stop complaining about the breaking that's happening in our lives, that's when we'll be able to give God thanks for all the blessings that he has deposited in our lives in spite of what happens, in spite of what has been done, in spite of what you've lost, in spite of what people say, in spite of what I stop complaining, I'll be able to see how blessed I am. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, I know someone believes and knows that God has blessed me. And there's a reason for me to give him thanks for all that he has done for me. I may have been laid off, but I'm still blessed. I may be solo and lonely, but I'm still blessed. I may be single, but I'm still blessed. I may not have everything I pray for, but I'm still blessed. I may be sick in my body, but I'm still blessed because of everything that God has done for me. Here, let me help you guys. Let me help you guys. When the Bible says blessed, it means that there's a divine covering that's over your life. So even though nothing seems to be working out, that is your covering. God sees you. God knows what's happening. God is aware. He makes it hard when he looks down low. You are blessed. In spite, in spite, in spite, in spite of what has happened, in spite of what you're going through, Blessed means that I have a great God who sits high and is aware of everything that is going on and he is my covering. He is my shield of 
protection. You are blessed. If I could take it a step further, the Bible says that the bread was broken, and that's when he gave it. When the bread was broken, that's when he gave it. So each of the disciples, every time we do communion, you need to always look at your hands. Because you may not have everything you want, but you got something. You got something. Always look at your hand because that lets you know, I'm not empty handed. <laughs> I'm not empty handed. I still got something in my hand. I may not have everything I prayed for, but I've got something. It may not be going the way I planned or desired, but I got something. You definitely have something to thank God for. That is why whenever we take communion, we take a pause. So you can reflect and remember what God has done for you. Whenever you see the Lord's Supper, whenever you see the Eucharist, whenever you see the, uh, 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 the, 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 the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, and the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, Holy Communion, Holy Communion, sorry. Whenever you see that, that should be a reminder of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. That parcel of bread should remind you that I'm saved. Heaven is reserved for me. My sins are forgiven. It should always be a reminder, I got something. Number one, Paul says, the Lord's Supper reminds us that we are to be a caring community. Number two, that we are blessed in our brokenness. And number three, to elevate the purpose of communion above our performance. Elevating the purpose of communion above our performance. Paul says, <clears throat> as often as you do this, you proclaim the death of Jesus until he comes. As often as you do this, you proclaim the death of Jesus until he comes. First Corinthians 11, 26, 27. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Verse 27. Therefore. I want you guys to know something. Whatever therefore is there is there for a reason. You guys have heard from that before. Therefore, therefore, because of what was stated previously, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup excuse me, of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the, the body and the blood of the Lord. Man, I don't know about you guys. Growing up, this was such a sacred passage. I had bad memories with this one. Bad thoughts with this one. Because I always felt that pastors, preachers would intentionally use this passage for fear in my heart. To keep me away from the Lord's Supper. To let me know that I am unqualified to partake of communion with everyone else because of how my week went. And so I would already come to church based on how Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, even Saturday, even Sunday morning went. No, I didn't say that. No. I, I, I know that. If I have a bad week, I didn't take a If I didn't feel spiritual enough, I didn't take a 
If I felt like I was unfaithful towards God this week, I would take If I lied that week, if I messed up that week, I did not take communion. So I only took communion on a good week. If I prayed that week, check. If I fasted that week, check. If I read my Bible that week, check. If I felt spiritual enough, like, man, I feel the presence of God, check. Not realizing that this passage does not say an unworthy person. I want us to catch this here. The passage does not say an unworthy person. The text says, in an unworthy manner. Meaning, it's the way that I come in approaching the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table, that was the issue. So growing up, I elevated what I did over what God did for me. I elevated my good deeds over the grace of God in my life. I elevated my lack of faithfulness towards God over God's faithfulness towards me. I elevated my sins over God's forgiveness of my sins from 2,000 years ago. I elevated my performance above the purpose of communion. I allowed... My, my performance to keep me away from the throne of grace. I allowed my performance to keep me away from asking for forgiveness. I allowed my performance to keep me away from the purpose of communion. The purpose of the communion. I allowed my performance to keep me away from the purpose, which is proclaiming the death of Jesus. Proclaiming the death of Jesus. Proclaim, proclaim, proclaim. Proclaim means to preach to declare, to testify. Paul is saying, partaking in communion is declaring what Jesus did on the cross. Partaking in communion is appreciating what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Partaking in communion is looking at my life in light of what Jesus has already done on the cross. So the question is, what did Jesus do on the cross? What happened on the cross? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Colossians 2 verse 5 says, at the cross, Satan was defeated. At the cross, Satan was disarmed. At the cross, Satan was put to shame. So when I partake of the Lord's Supper, I'm not just taking bread and cup, but I'm preaching, I'm declaring that Jesus died on the cross. I'm not preaching to myself. I'm not preaching to my kids. I'm not preaching to the person next to me. I'm preaching and declaring to the enemy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm preaching and declaring to the enemy. You have no place. You have no authority. You have no right to my life. You can't stop me. I'm declaring to the enemy, go back to hell. Go back to hell with defeat. Go back to hell with depression. Go back to hell with stress. Go back to hell with fear. Go back to hell with your lies and your doubt. Go back to hell. Every time I come to the Lord's Supper, even though it wasn't a good week, but when I come, that means I'm coming boldly asking Jesus forgiveness, the Father forgiveness for my sins, for what I've done. I can't allow the enemy from stopping me because he's already been defeated. He's been disarmed. I can't elevate my, 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 my performance over the purpose of communion as often as you do this. As often as you do this, you're declaring, you're proclaiming, you're reminding yourself that the enemy has no place in your life. 
He has no control. He can't stop you from continuing to preach the good news of Jesus. And this is what we hold on to every time we take communion. Even though things may not seem right, things may not seem the way that we want it to be, but every time I come here, this allows me to hold on until next week, until next month, until he returns. I'm going to ask the ushers to come up. This is what I really want us to know, to remind ourselves that whenever we take the Lord's Supper, whenever we take communion, whenever we take the Eucharist, we are called to be a caring community. We are called to be blessed in our brokenness, to elevate the purpose of communion above our performances. I can't allow what's happening around me from celebrating, declaring the goodness of Jesus. Amen. You may take the elements. The Bible says, do not take this in an unworthy manner. Which means every single time I must discern my reason for coming. Discern my reason for coming. I'm not coming out of routine. I'm not coming out of ritual. But I'm coming because I know, yes, Jesus did die. Not just for the person next to me, but for me. He came and he died for you and for me. So as we take this time here, I want to see you to think. When we come here at this moment, how can I show love and support towards the people who are here with me every single week? At this moment, what is it that I'm doing in terms of my performance throughout the week that's telling me no? You're not qualified. No, this wasn't for you. No, you can't partake of it. Or what is it that I've been experiencing? The brokenness in my life that I've been complaining about. That has stopped me from being truly thankful. I mean, I have everything. But this piece of bread reminds me, I've got something. Something to be thankful. Something to be thankful. So during this moment, I want you to reflect. Where is it in one of these three areas? Is the Holy Spirit speaking to?